What is up, y'all, and welcome back to Starve the Ego, Feed the Soul. I am your host, Nico Barraza, and we took a month off. I really wanted to take some time uh, to myself, take some r and I've been working with a ton of clients one-on-one, and it's been incredible, but I needed some time to just refocus, line up some more guests for the podcast. So thank all of you out there for being patient with me. I know I've received a lot of DMs, like, when's the next episode dropping? And I really appreciate everyone being engaged. So I'm glad to be back, and my guest today is an incredible one. But before I get to her, um, I am offering 40% off a four-pack of one-on-one coaching sessions for individuals through the month of May. So 40% off, it's super affordable, and uh, as always, I work on a sliding scale anyways. But if you're interested in working with me one-on-one, if you've been on the fence, this is a great time to take some initiative and jump in if, if it works for you, and if you think that that we align and you think... um. Uh, you can benefit from from working with me one-on-one. If you like what I'm saying online, chances are it's probably going to connect with you in a one-on-one setting and, and we'll actually get you know some real work done. So go over to www.nicobarraza.com. Check that out. If you're interested in booking some sessions, book through the website. I'm booking about one to two weeks out in advance now. So the sooner you get on it, um, the sooner you will have sessions reserved for the month of May and after. But again, offering 40% off for the month of May for a one-on-one coaching sessions for a four-pack. So just want to drop that plug right there. And if you're new to Starve the Ego, Feed the Soul, please leave us a five-star written review on Apple Podcasts and a five-star review on Spotify Podcasts as well too. It's the free way you can give back to the show. Um, I do this completely pro bono. I don't run any ads on this show for a reason, so that way you guys don't have to be bored with a bunch of random ads for random products and green juices and lotions and all these things that people flood podcasts with. We're not there. I don't want to get to that point with this show. Um, if I do ever run ads, it'll just be one, and it'll be a short one in the middle of the show. It won't um, you know, take over the entirety of the show. I just don't believe in that. It's not why I'm, why I'm doing this show, quite frankly. Um, so if you want a way to give back, uh, there's two ways. You can go leave a five-star written review on Apple, a five-star review on Spotify. Please take one minute out of your day right now. Pause the show. Go do that. It, I re- will really appreciate it. It really helps the show grow. And also, you can go to www.nicobarraza.com and click on the store link. And I have a ton of Starve the Ego, Feed the Soul gear, whether you're into t-shirts, crop tops, tank tops, um, awesome coffee mugs, thermoses, a ton of stuff on there. And it's really cheap. I made sure to source it from sustainable sources, whether the ink or the dye or the materials that it's coming from. And so check it out. If you want to grab something for yourself and you do, uh, please send me a photo and tag me on Instagram so I can share it. Um, I just want to, you know, broaden this community. And I've already had a ton of people purchase stuff from all over the world and send me photos of, of the star of the ego feed, feed the soul shirt, you know, all over the place. And it's just super inspiring and humbling when all of you out there engage. And, and again, it's really affordable and really easy and you can buy stuff for your kids too. Um, so check that out if you're interested in supporting the show monetarily in any way. So this week's guest, I first heard of on the rich roll podcast. And I gotta be honest, the, the episode just blew me away. Um, I remember this this book I read when I was 18 years old, and I bring it up in the episode. It, it's The uh, Universe is a Single Atom, The Convergence of Science and Spirituality by the Dalai Lama. An incredible uh, work. If you haven't read that book, highly recommend it. I think it was published around 2006, 2007. I read it in 2008 when I was a freshman and undergrad in San Diego. And um, so I, this woman was on Rick Roll's show, and it just blew me away that the intellect and the depth and the research she was doing around spirituality so scientific research around how the brain and the body responds to being spiritual spiritual practices whether it be religion or just spirituality in a general sense right and 
uh, I just had to have her on the show. Really, I've been looking for someone. I've been searching for someone um, that, that was an expert in this field. And long behold, she falls into my ears when I'm running and listening to the Rick Roll podcast. And I'm um, happy to say that Dr. Lisa Miller agreed to come on the show and share an hour with me. And she is perhaps the world's foremost expert in the relative study of psychology and spirituality. Dr. Miller is professor and director of clinical psychology at Teachers College, Columbia University, where she founded and currently directs the Spirituality and Mind-Body Institute. Um, an incredible human being. She just launched a book uh, not too long ago called The Awakened Brain, The New Science of Spirituality and Our Quest for an Inspired Life. She also wrote the New York Times bestseller, The Spiritual Child. So uh, an awesome part of this episode launching when it is, is that The Awakened Brain, her newest book, is going to go on sale for $2, $2, anywhere you can purchase books, whether that be Barnes & Noble, Amazon, um, and, and I think it's I think it's the the audible version. So just, just the, um, the recording, not the actual physical books. If you're a physical book person, I get it. I am too. I try to buy all my books used if I can, but if you enjoy listening to books when you're driving, when you're running, or if that's just your cup of tea, you can get her book for $2. I believe it's, um, it goes on sale in the middle of May. Uh, she says it in the episode. So listen for that, but definitely hop on that. I mean, this book is $20 normally for two bucks. It's, it's totally worth your, worth your chunk of change. I mean, two bucks is not even a coffee these days. And I'm um, just, what, what a wonderful, wonderful piece of work this book is. And and she gets into some of the beliefs and understandings she's gained from researching spirituality. And uh, it's just an incredible testimony to the education and the amount of research and work Dr. Miller has put into this realm of scientific study. She also has a TED Talk, Depression and Spiritual Awakening, Two Sides of One Door. Uh, this was given at TEDx Teachers College, and you can check this out. I'll throw a link to this TED Talk in the show notes. So if you want to check out the TED Talk after you're done with this episode, I highly recommend it. It's about 15 minutes long, but totally worth your while. So Dr. Miller and I really get into how religion and spirituality affect the human mind, affect culture, affect society, and where we've come from where we are right now and where she thinks we're headed or where we ought to be headed. Um, it's a really intriguing conversation. If you're atheist, agnostic, if you practice a religion or if you just consider yourself spiritual or if you're just questioning and you're floating out there just wondering what to grab onto, this is an incredible conversation. It was super moving for me. Has to be one of my favorite conversations to date yet on the show. And that's saying a lot because I've been blessed to interview some incredible, amazing human beings. And Dr. Miller is no short of being at the top of that list. Honestly, sharing time with her was an absolute blessing, and I hope I get to meet her in person and share some more deep conversations with her. I think you all are really going to love this conversation, and if you do, please remember, share it, send it to someone that you think needs it, share it on your social media pages. It helps the show grow a lot, and uh, honestly, it's just the, the most you can do if you don't want to um, engage monetarily with the show. I, I would really appreciate it if you share it with people that you love. So without further ado, I'm so glad to be back in the studio recording podcast for all of you out there. Thank you so much for being a, a member of this community. Um, when I started Start the Ego Feed the Soul, I had no idea it was going to grow so rapidly and become just a wealth of joy for myself. I've, I've shared some incredible moments and some incredible conversations and had some super awesome feedback from all of you out there. So thank you so much for engaging um, and thank you so much for listening every week and um you know, sending me notes and messages about what resonated with you, what didn't. It's just, it's all appreciated. You are, you guys are all appreciated out there. Thank you so much for, for tuning in. So without further ado, Dr. Lisa Miller.
Well, Dr. Lisa Miller, thank you so much for coming on Starve the Ego, Feed the Soul. I am so excited to chat with you today. I've been waiting and hoping for a scientist to chat with in the realm of spirituality because uh, I have a master's in environmental engineering. I've been a scientist my entire life. And it's interesting, when I was writing down notes this morning about some questions to ask you, it reminded me of when I was 18 and a freshman in college at San Diego State University, the book I was reading was The Universe is a Single Atom, um, The Convergence of Science and Spirituality by the Dalai Lama. And for some reason, I hadn't thought of that book in a while, but it just popped in my mind as I was reading some notes that I had taken on your TED Talks and your book. And I was like, wow, this seems like kind of right up your alley of work as far as like the ethos of everything you've you've done. Um, as as far as being a professional scientist. So first off, thank you so much for coming on and sharing an hour with me. I'm so inspired to talk to you. And um, yeah, welcome. I'm so excited to be here. Starve the ego, feed the soul is exactly what we need to do right now, um, as in the second, as a society. I mean, I think we're really lost and we're really down and out. And it's because we're tangling with this moment from the stance of ego. And the very same way of living that got us into this mess is not going to be the stance that's going to lift us out. Mm. So, I mean, you've got it. The answer is right there. And I think when we can move just in our own lives, we'll be so much more fulfilled and uplifted, but we'll also get along in a really beautiful way. I mean, can mm. you imagine what we're capable of mm. when we feed our soul and, and feed each other's soul? Mm. So you've got it that that is the answer and yes there is a neuroscience that mirrors what you've shared mm. there is a neuroscience that says when we can move out of the narrow band of awareness that is the ego mm. what do i want how am i going to get it how am i going to control everything around me to make sure i get what i want that job it's got to be that job I've got to get that guy. Mm. I've got to lose that weight. Mm -hmm. I've got to get it. I've got to have it. That actually runs in our brain, mm -hmm. the neuro nuts of addiction. Mm. The circuit that moves, the I got to have it mm -hmm. circuit is the very same circuit. When we look through an, a, you know, the movie camera MRI, yep. the yep. fMRI that watches blood flow, that's the stance of addiction. Mm -hmm. And the thing about the addicted brain is we can take that, stance, the use of our brain that way, the choice to use our brain that way. Mm -hmm. And we can point it at drugs. We can point it at alcohol. We can point it at gaming or internet pornography or anything that's got it, got it, got it, got it. Yep. And it's the same engine that runs. It's that same loop in the brain. But that's a choice. Yep. And every single one of us can put our hand on the gear shift mm -hmm. and get us up out of the I've got to have it, addicted brain. And the very same person can choose to engage, you know, let's get out of second gear and mm -hmm. let's go into fourth mm -hmm. right away. Yep. Like we'll skip right through third. You know how that you can do that when yep. you're moving. Let's get into fourth. And fourth is what is life showing me now? Mm -hmm. What higher power are you asking me to see? Right. And whatever our culture or tradition might use as the language for that, mm -hmm. whether we pray to God or we meditate and feel at one with spirit or walk in nature and know that we're part of this family of life, mm -hmm. we know how to get ourselves, we all have this, into a state of what I call an awakened yep. brain, right. to use our awakened brain, to augment our awareness. Mm -hmm. And when we ha use our awakened awareness we suddenly go from being people who think we're making our path and getting what we thought we wanted to being people who 
have much more exciting lives and we are discoverers mm. on our journey and we meet people that are so fantastic like yes. caring now yep. and we have conversations right. that we didn't know we were going to get to have mm-hmm. and life's an adventure amen to that wow what an intro um i think that you know you, you touched on so many things there the one thing is the the lack of curiosity um that that is missing within a hyper individualized society right and um as you've seen humanity grown we've had social media we've had you know, we've been told these things like, we'll make a lot of money, buy a lot of things, surround yourself with a lot of stuff, and you're going to feel happy. And then we see these symptoms that depression goes up, anxiety goes up, the more things and the more technology we have, and we keep adding these layers of sophistication onto the human life. And then at the core of human needs is relationships, right? And our relationships have kind of fallen off the wayside. Now there's this reemergence of like, okay, how do I become a better partner? How do I become a better parent? How do I find actual and build actual love, right? And it, it, it kind of reminds me of like, as society has trickled into this hyper-individualized, you know, I'd say oscillation because it, it kind of goes in waves throughout human history, you know, we're, we're sort of rectifying with our sort of divergence from spirituality, right? I mean, there was a huge pushback, especially in my generation, the millennial generation with um, Christianity, right? There was a, there was kind of a, an exodus from people kind of falling out of the church. You know, they were raised by, by their parents that were, you know, Gen Xers and they were just like, well, you know, I consider myself atheist or agnostic. And I certainly fell into that category in my twenties. And, you know, I, I went in and out of relationships and I consider myself a very intelligent intellectual, you know, um, you know, studied a lot of science and had, you know, very amazing conversations. And my answer was always like, well, I'm looking for tangibility. You know, I don't know what exists out there. You know, uh, I know there, who knows, right? And so I'm going to focus on the tangible things in life. And then I, I met this, uh, this rabbi who was a life coach three years ago when I was going through a breakup. And I was sitting there in front of him, kind of just bawling my eyes out, talking about, you know, why didn't this work out? Like, I've tried everything. You know, I know I made mistakes, X, Y, and Z. And he's sitting there for an hour just listening to me. This was like our fourth session. And then he says, I hear everything you're saying, man. And it's, it's such a human experience, you know, and so many of us have been through that and I, I'm holding space for you, but I want you to know, like, um, like, do you have any, do you have any belief outside of your own, you know, individual, you know, world, right? Like your own experiences. And I was like, well, I was raised Catholic, but you know, my parents were real open with, you know, where I went with it. And when I turned about 12 or 13, I just stopped going to church and I, I've always kind of been like, you know, I don't know. It's just not for me. Right. And he's like, oh, okay, I get that. You know, you're obviously you're very logical in explaining that. I've told this story on the show before. And he was like, but you're a spirit guy. And I was like, what the heck, dude? Like I'm paying you, you know, X amount of dollars an hour. What are you talking about? You know, I'm here to talk about my relationship problems. And he's like, no, this, this is part of it. He's like, I think that, you know, you need something greater than yourself to believe in. I'm like, well, I believe in the goodness of humanity. Like, That's awesome. Like stay with that. But he's like, you need to focus on sort of he was really what he was trying to present is I was taking this myopic view with my pain, right? I was embodying the pain I was experiencing so much that as you've talked about in your TED talk, that depression was the other side of the door, right? And I, and I, I want to talk about that because it was such an amazing quote. I wrote it down where I was on the other side of that door, right? And I, and I, I could feel what was past the door, but I didn't really know how to define it in my mind. And then he's like, he's like, you're, you're a spirit guy. And then I'm sitting there just like, you know, I'm, I'm very quick on my feet. I'm a very good talker. And I didn't really have much to say, you know, because we had been talking for two hours. And then he put his hand on my shoulder. He's like, you'll figure it out, kid. And then and he, I was 20, what is I was 28 at the time, you know, and he, and he walked out and he was just really sweet about it, you know. And I, and I thought about that for a really long time, probably for about a year. I sat with it and I was like, 
I understand what he's saying. Like there was this gap in my heart, in my soul that um, I was not connecting with, you know, and I was denying some sort of, you know, embodiment of something outside myself because of some oppression that I'd experienced with religion or some, some, you know, some more ideals that I'd created in my head of what religion was supposed to do and wasn't supposed to do. Right. Because it was really influenced by a lot of humans, um, you know, especially in terms of power, right. Power dynamics. And once I let go of that sort of ego that I was attached to with like the bad things I thought that it did, I was like, what is it? What is at the true core of connecting with spirit? And in my mind, we all have a soul, right? It's this, it's this energy force that powers your, your body that you're in. And spirit is merely the life force that connects all souls. And that doesn't just exist with humans. It exists with just life in our world, right? And probably in other worlds that we are not even aware of, other things that we, we can't tangibly feel. It. Science probably will not ever explain, right? Um, and it was just a really intriguing thought to me because I was like, well, that, that sort of is how we explain love because we can study love and we can scan the brain and we can see where it lights up and we can see that we can experience some sort of feeling of sadness and pain. But as far as like the transference of love between two organisms and humans, that to me is where spirit lives, right? Because the soul is in you. Like, you know, you're not giving your soul to someone, but when two souls connect, you can experience love like you bring up in parenting, you know? And there was just this light bulb in that moment where I was like, wow, I have been shutting myself off to a lot of love throughout my life because I've been denying this component of this deep-rooted connection to something greater than myself, right? And, and you brought up addiction, and I'm, I'm currently getting my second master's in clinical mental health counseling. I'm in an addiction class right now, and it specifically talks about the science behind connecting with some form of spirituality, allowing yourself to let go of the addictive brain, right? The egotistical brain, like I need this to function. This is me, right? I am, I am like have substance use disorder for this or X, Y, and Z. And I love how you apply that. It's not just with a substance, it's with thoughts. We can become addicted to how we think. If we think myopically and egotistically that we're the most important thing in the universe and that, you know, just everything revolves between our two ears, we, we sort of lose our connection to spirit, which is why, like, this is my brother and my sister. We, we are like, you know, I, I, I want to look out for all humans, not just the humans that look like me or the humans that live in my country kind of thing, you know? And I think when you th reframe it like that, all of a sudden the borders just fall, right? Totally. totally. And you can even say that the striving, self-centered culture that we're fed with Cheerios as a child, it's in the air and water of our culture, is a setup to be an addict, right? I mean, why do we have an epidemic in mm -hmm. which so many of us suffer with addiction? Yep. It's because we were acculturated from day one. It's me. I've got to have it. Who's that person over there? My classmate sitting next to me? That's my competitor. Mm -hmm. right? And how do I know that? Because when it's time to grade us, they line us all up. And if she gets an A, I can't have one. Yep. There's a bell curve. right? So we are set. And what happened? Well, in my day at school, they listed your names and they gave you your grade. And who you were you? I was the 92. Actually, no, I was the 68. Right. So we were set up to be in transactional relationships where what can you do for me? Well, you're that 92. Hey, you're a 92. Mm -hmm. What can you do for me? <laughs> it, it was so poisonous 
It was so poisonous. And it is so far, this transactional way of knowing each other, this sort of capitalism taken as a relational theory, where we're basically goods, you know, your pieces and parts. Hey, you're cute. Do you want to stand next to me? Mm-hmm. Hey, you're rich. Do you want to partner up with me? Mm-hmm. I mean, it is so userous and mercantile how yep. we see each other. But we don't have to. We have a choice. And what you're talking about is so beautiful, Nico, because you're talking about another way of being and loving and connecting mm-hmm. where we move out of transactional relationships as if we were buying something online mm-hmm. right, into a transformational relationship mm-hmm. where you are my brother and this moment here is going to change us both. And it gets back to your vision of curiosity. Yeah. Why, my word's God, higher power, spirit, why force of all life, of all people on earth now, do I get to speak with Nico? Yeah. And what might we discover and how might this conversation serve your highest purpose? Mm-hmm. That's a much more exciting way. And it certainly piques my curiosity much more mm-hmm. than, you know, wondering if you got a better score on your SAT than me, yeah. right? So <laughs> that, that, that's the world of infinite love and mm-hmm. possibility. It's also a world where we stop measuring each other. I mean, this is so in our air and water. I can't go to a dinner party without being measured. I mean, I can hear tick, tick, tick. Where do you live? Tick, tick, tick. Do you have tenure? Tick, tick, You know, tick, 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 tick. Versus, you know, what lights you up? You know, what's your greatest passion? And how long? Who is your greatest love? One hundred percent, because that's like the deep. Those are the deep questions versus the superficial questions. And isn't academia? And science a little bit responsible for the commodification of human beings because we've sort of the the sort of structures and the models we have have allowed us to put ourselves in the boxes, right? So we created the box, but the box is sort of the way of thinking, right? And I think the cool thing about science is that it is the key to break out of the box and connect to spirituality because I think for people that are very analytical like myself, I need the data, right? I'm like, someone prove it to me, you know? And that doesn't always work with spirituality. The really interesting thing about your work is you are a scientist that studies spirituality and how the mind and the body and the brain respond to that. And I think that is like, sort of the precipice for what humanity really needs right now, because outside of all the other things we're, we're dealing with, where it's global warming or all these other things, right? We have disease. These things are really a result from, um, you know, our disconnection from consciousness, right? Because we're, we're yeah. walking through life with our head down being like, I'm going to make a million dollars today. And it's like, that doesn't mean much guys. Like if you have all the money in the world, but you're lonely and you're sad and you're alone, you're missing the point. Because we only have and so money much time. Can be real if it's psychologically significant to you. Exactly, it's not the money in the wallet per se or in the bank account. It is the significance as it goes ding, 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 or not. Yep. in your head, right? Mm-hmm. So you know, Nico, I think you've said so many wise things, and the one that I just feel is going to save us right now is that we are in this problem right now because of how we think. Yep. Right. I mean, there's a tendency when you hear the you know, suffering in this moment to say it is the economy. It is the war, tragic, of course, yep. war in Ukraine. Yep. It is this thing out there. But actually, we've created the entire thing as a global community by how we think. Amen. And you're right. I mean, our only mistake, and it's so readily at our fingertips, is to draw ourselves in deep connection with consciousness. Mm-hmm. It's right here. It's not like we need to wait four years while the world blows. I mean, right now, the set, like, and we need to now, right. you know, open our mind. I would say awaken 
our natural brain, mm-hmm. our natural awareness to the force in and through life that is in and through us, that is in Nico, that's in Lisa, that's in every mountain, river, bird, and deer. This force that brings us together, this force that guides us, and this force through which we're never alone. So you know, no, there I am never alone. I don't I don't care if I'm walled off with COVID in the back of my apartment mm-hmm. or if you know, I won the lottery or lost every penny. I Society loves me. Society hates me. I am never alone yeah. because we are part of this deep sacred field of life mm-hmm. where we're loved and held and we are guided. This is true. It's not a nice belief. Yeah. It is a level at which we can look into reality. It is putting our hand on the gear shift and looking more deeply, using our brain, choosing mm-hmm. to marshal our innate spiritual brain to look into the deeper fabric of life. It's mm. there. It is right there. Mm. And why do we wait till we bottom out? Why does it have to hurt so bad to realize, oh, I need to hand it over. I need to realize I'm loved and held. Mm-hmm. I need to lean on someone greater than myself. I need to know I'm guided. But we can start when we're children by simply being encouraged to realize our natural perception. The child sees this. The Mm. child is in relationship with all of life. So let's not snuff it out in school and let's, in our, as adults, love it and see it in each other. I mean, you know, to be able to talk to each other in this way says, yes, this is true. And we can all talk this way. Mm-hmm. You know, okay. So I'm in the post office and this woman was left alone, you know, management mistake, human error. She's the only one in the entire post office to run the show. And the line is, I'm not kidding, out the door and everyone's irritated and shifting their weight and rolling their eyes. And this poor woman is catching all this negativity. Mm-hmm. And she just came to work. All yeah. she wants to do is pay for her kid's apartment. And, it, and she said, oh, this is the worst day of my life. And we said, it was so moving. Like this was an opportunity, Nico. We said, oh my gosh, this is the worst day of your entire life to the post office woman, the postal master. And then we turned to each other and said, what can we do? We are so sorry. It is the worst day of your life. And suddenly that went from a radically harsh transactional moment where why haven't you taken my package to here is a soul on earth, totally overwhelmed. And can we rally around her? Mm -hmm. Can we be good fellow souls on earth today? This is a moment right now, a choice every single moment. I love it. it. It reminded me of this parable that David Foster Wallace wrote. He gave a speech um, before he passed away at this graduation. He's one of the, I'd say, best modern writers of my generation. And he, it, it's, it's called This is Water. And he, he opens the speech with, these, with this kind of parable, these, these two young fish swimming in, I think it's an ocean or a lake, and they're swimming towards this older fish. And they get close to him, and the older fish says, morning, boys, how's the water? And the two younger fish look at each other and they're like, what the hell is water? And it's just, it was just like this sort of, you know, parable of what you focus on absolutely matters, right? What you focus on creates your reality. And now it's not to, you know, 
spread this disillusion of like, you know, if you are suffering, oppressed, um, you know, have all these other things going on in life that they're not real, they are real, but you know, you can, what you focus on does give a lot of things power, right? And if we focus on only ourselves and just, you know, completely self-absorbed, we lose this empowerment of, of the collective of, you know, being connected to something greater than ourselves, right? Which I think, which, which you get at in your TED talk is, is kind of like, one of the best treatments for sadness or for depression, like continued sadness, right? To tap in to something greater than yourself, to believe in sort of the greater good, right? Even amidst like the struggling, the famine, the suffering, uh, you know, that, that at the core, as a species, we can do incredible things together. Yeah, you totally hit the nail on the head, which is we're depressed because we, the story you told, yeah. because we tend to perceive at the level of separateness and isolation and at the level of our ego and breaking into an awareness of the oneness is exactly as you were saying how we get past depression depression is an isolation of the self by perception mm -hmm. amen to that so what what do you say to folks i mean this is like myself in my 20s that are extremely pragmatic, logical, analytical thinkers who are have an aversion to spirituality, have an aversion to religion, right? Um, what do you say to those folks who, you know, just say like, hey, you know, if we look at the large religions and the oppression and the things that have kind of resulted from them, at least in the human world, you know, how do you, um, I guess, engage with those folks to uh, help them reconnect with spirituality, something greater than themselves? So, I mean, Nico, the first important point is what you said so clearly, which is spirituality and religion are, are two different things. Mm -hmm. For about two-thirds of people in our country, they go hand in hand. Yeah. And for about one-third of people, they will say, I'm spiritual, but I am not religious. Mm -hmm. So whether or not we are religious, and no matter what faith tradition may we be, Hindu, Buddhist, Jewish, Muslim, Catholic, if we are religious, we all have the same spiritual brain. And we all have one. So every single one of us is an innately spiritual being. We are all spiritual beings. And that is a statement made by science. Mm -hmm. That is not a lovely belief or an ephemeral thought. It is hard data at multiple levels of analysis in science. It is documented through the neural correlates and MRI studies of spiritual awareness. It is documented in twin studies through the identification of a hardwired innate heritable contribution to our capacity to be in a transcendent relationship, the neuro seat of perception through which we are in relationship to our higher power or the force of life. Mm. That's innate. Yep. Now, it's not entirely innate. It's one-third innate, two-thirds environmentally formed, yep. which means that how we choose to build the muscle, yes, when we're young, our pastor, priest, mom, mother, father, grandmother, but in our 20s, 30s, 40s, it is a choice what environment we ensue onto our inner life. It is a choice if we meditate, align with nature, pray, connect with our higher power. It is a choice yeah. if we join a community of service and mm -hmm. spiritual values. So we pick our environment and cultivate our natural spiritual brain 
by choice. Mm -hmm. It's ours. It is our extraordinary opportunity, and it is our key out of this mass epidemic of suffering. We feel alone, and we feel split off because depression is a disease of perception. It is a disease that leads us to feel as if we were alone because we see things that way Mm -hmm. and feel things that way. But we can shift, and we can awaken. And I, it's, I'm so glad you brought this up because one of the questions I have written down is what is the difference between religion and spirituality? You know, I've read, you know, the terminology, but you, you really just summarize it for us. And it, it popped this idea in my head is that, you know, Alain de Botton, who's a, I love him, is an amazing philosopher that lives in England who founded the School of Life. He wrote um, a book called The Religion for Atheists, which is a really intriguing book. And, uh, he, he talks about how, you know, over humanity, humans have always needed a sense of congregation. So we've gone in big buildings together to sing and to pray together. And he's like, at first, it wasn't really designed to corrupt and to take power over people. It was really people getting together and celebrating life, celebrating love, celebrating uh, values, right? And then all of a sudden, we're like, well, we need to take some land over here. So we'll just say it's in the name of this big building we're in and we'll go over there, you know, and we'll take it. And he's like, those are two different problems in in humanity, right? The one is like, we have a need for togetherness. And then sort of because we got greedy, we started to use that ethos to take over other people's togetherness, right? And he's like, we that's the wrong direction, right? And he's like, well, what have we lost in humanity? We've lost the congregation because we've all sort of, you know, pushed back religion and been like, no, religion is at fault for all these oppressive things. And it's like humans have utilized sort of spirituality as the sword to claim land, to claim resources, that kind of thing. But he's like at the core, and I completely believe in this too, is that we need community. Without community, we are alone. And a human being alone is an unhealthy human because we are social animals, right? That's why we hunt and gather together. That's why we parent in groups. That's why we have communities, right? That's why you feel safer when you're around people you trust, right? And and in my mind, it's like we have to rebuild congregation. It doesn't have to be adhering to a specific religion, but it does have to be believing in something greater than ourselves. And that, that greaterness could be togetherness of a whole, right? Um, and I I think that that might be more digestible for people that are really avert have aversion to religion such as myself because even when i be, started to come back into spirituality i had a i had a problem with saying god you know because god i associate with the with the catholic god the roman catholic god who i was taught looked like this you know in this picture and you know he had all these things and then he judged you know certain groups for not believing in him and this and that and then i started to redefine what god meant to me you know and in my mind like god is the glue that connects souls which is spirit and so i could i could interchange it with the term spirit 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 right um but it's not really the point of defining the thing as it is of how it works between life right how it works in my in my mind and the life around me and when i started to like let go of my i would say pain from the term i started to use the word god again because uh like god to me doesn't even have a gender you know and we genderize god where it was like he like the father and i'm like we need some feminine energy in there too guys like you know if we're gonna put masculine energy in there right and i think the point is, is like, I define my own spirituality, right? I started to, I read a lot of Buddhism when I was younger. I read a lot of Hinduism. I've read the, the Torah. I've read, you know, Islam. And I've, I've read the Bible multiple times. I went to Catholic school till I was 16, you know? And um, I think I all these different values that I thought were healthy, I brought them together. And then I used science. And then I used my experience and my environment and the beautiful people that helped me be who I am today and helped me heal, you know? And then, boom, 
I have spirituality that I've created on my terms. It doesn't matter if it's a little different than someone else's. The, the fact is, is that the connectivity is the same. The congregation is the same. Nico, your life is a spiritual path. It's, it's beautiful. And everything counts. Mm. And all the people you've met and the science that you regard and the soul's journey, it all counts. Mm -hmm. And I think part of what's so moving to me about your story is that all forms of experience, all forms of knowing count. Yeah. So at the table of human wisdom, in our inner table, we are mystics and intuitives and empiricists and logicians, as you said, side by side in your own path. And when we can get those forms of human knowing around our own inner table talking, and the skeptic, mm -hmm. skeptic can be at the table too, yep. right? But no one's the bouncer at the door. Yep. The skeptic doesn't throw out the empiricist nor the mystic. You've marshaled everybody. Amen. Yeah. I, I do think that you know, your point in the good attempt to be inclusive, um, we've thrown religion out of the public square. Right. And with that, I think in our mainstream center public discussions, we threw out the spiritual baby with the bathwater. Mm -hmm. And your work in this type of discussion puts our natural spirituality back into the center of the public square. But it does it this way through the authentic voice of each person, through the embrace of pluralism. Mm -hmm. So what's really moving is that, you know, whether we are Catholic, Hindu, Jewish, spiritual, but not religious, we all have the same spiritual brain. There's one spiritual brain. So A, this makes religious war beyond outdated. Okay. There's one spiritual brain. And the second point is that we choose to use it. Well, you've chosen, if we choose to use it, to see every single thing in our path as holding spiritual significance. Mm -hmm. So the sacred clock, the ontological clock of ultimate meaning runs mm -hmm. at every minute when you've chosen to look. Now, I want to get to your point. Do you mind if I just share one more bit of no, science? No, please. Let's go. Uh, yeah, this is wonderful. Sangha, Minion, Fellowship. I call it the journey group. Okay. When we look through the MRI, the same neuro tract, if you will, the same neuro docking station through which we experience and feel the love of the higher power, the buoyancy of life itself, the guidance of spirit, that same circuit, that same neuro seat of awareness is the same seat of awareness that lets us see spirit in one another. So when you talk about us coming together in community, but not to play pool or have five shots of tequila, coming together in community with this deep regard of one another, I love you, whether you just won the lottery or you're on the front page of the paper for going to jail. It doesn't matter. Yep. I love you, right? I see through you as a soul on earth. That's how we look at each person yep. in a sangha, a minion. It's different than, wow. You just made a lot of money. Yep. Wow, I saw you, your, your movie's doing great. Mm -hmm. you, know, it, you know, that's back to the commodification of each other, the yep. transactional relationship. But this love of you as a soul on earth, like, great, you're yep. so successful. But if you weren't, I'd be just as glad to see you. Amen. That, that gets to the point of, I try to speak about this a lot with all my guests, is that it seems like with sort of the, you know, the absence of spirituality and in a belief system or a belief structure, we've also lost a sense of service to other, 
right? And I think those two things go hand in hand because when I was raised and I was young, it was like Catholicism was like be in service of your fellow brothers and sisters, right? Now, obviously, there was there was um, rules and regulations around that because there 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 was kind of religions pinned against each other, right? You know, and so I think it brings up the the idea of like there's a difference between dogma and love, right? And in my mind, like dogma is ego; it's the human ego attaching to religious belief and then manipulating it for its own benefit, right? For its own, like I would say consumeristic benefit, right? Versus love, which is that all spirituality and all religions should be steeped in a sense of togetherness, regardless of what your core beliefs are. As you said, there's one spiritual brain. And when you tap into that and you really are understanding it, it doesn't really matter what the sort of pillars are around it. The fact is that it should be connecting you to other human beings, even the ones that don't believe what you believe. And I think the I think where we've lost as hum, as humans in, in that battle is a lot of religion has separated us. It's otherized other religions. You know, it's like okay, Christianity versus Islam, or you know, um, like for instance, like Israel and Palestine, like those things, right? And there, there's a lot of other drivers here. It's not just religious drivers. But I I completely agree with you. It's that we're so attached to dogmatic thinking that like, well, I believe in this, they believe in that, they are they versus like. Where are the where are the commonalities in our beliefs? You know, like take care of your fellow brother and sisters, like give back to a greater community. Like you're not just well, here to live alone. That is a form of thought that's human error. Yes. Right. So, you know, I think you know, one important distinction that you're holding that's so I I'll give it a visual if you don't mind. Yeah. You can change the visual. But I think of spirit or truth as fire, as light. Okay. And so we have the torch. Mm-hmm. But carrying the torch is just a regular human being the torchbearer. Mm-hmm. And very often, you know, people stop looking at the torch and they stop looking at what might be brought by the light simply because the torchbearer is walking down the wrong path or saying the wrong things about the light or pointing it at the wrong people or saying, I am the torchbearer, you know, a narcissistic identification with mm-hmm. carrying the torch. So, mm-hmm. you know, we're human, we're foibled. And it's, so valuable, as you're suggesting, to separate out the human error of the torchbearer, whatever tradition may we, we may have came from. Any faith is exercised with as much spirituality as the torchbearer has committed to in his or her own life. Mm-hmm. So whether the torchbearer is torchbearer, I said brother, interesting, mm-hmm. brother, sister, is Catholic, Hindu, spiritual, but not religious, Jewish, Muslim, that person as an individual being on earth has the opportunity to realize their spiritual heart through their faith tradition mm-hmm. or outside their faith tradition, but they will carry that torch in keeping with fire and the light in as much as they have illuminated their own path mm-hmm. and their own mind and their own heart. So I have met deeply religious people who are profoundly spiritual, yep. who don't do all that funny business mm-hmm. because as individuals, they have clarified, no, no, that's my ego. It's nice to feel special, mm-hmm. but actually God made us all beautiful and equal, you know, yep. um, or you know what? I like to be the big cheese in my house of worship, but that doesn't make me special. Yep. And I'm not the big cheese. I actually am a servant leader. Amen. So, you know, there, it, it's up to each of us. And 
I think each faith tradition through its people will be as profoundly spiritually bright as the people do their own work. Mm-hmm. Um, so I don't blame the religion per se. I don't blame the text. I don't blame the book. I, I think it's a human journey to really realize our open spiritual heart. And we can tell that in many ways, mm-hmm. including through our faith tradition or through the language of life. Through And yeah. foremost, bottom line, Nico, I'm so with you, service. Yeah. And in fact, did you know that service, like walking down the street and making food for the homeless guy, like not being selfish and giving my last 20 bucks to the kid who couldn't get through the train turnstile, literally mobilizes the spiritual brain. It also treats depression because I can... I can say that because uh, I've experienced depression in my life, right? And when, and people ask me this, I, I have a lot of clients say I work as a coach and soon as a therapist and they'll ask me like, you know, I feel really alone. I, I haven't met anyone I love and, you know, I can't find a partner or, you know, I can't have children, you know, the, these things that as human beings we do face and they do cause us strife. And my, my number one piece of advice is, is uh, I hear you. What can you do for others? Because if you can find something to do for others, it is going to illuminate your life. And, and you're not really doing it for that, right? There is some altruism in that. But the fact is, is like when I've been, um, you know, extremely down in my life or I've been feeling pain or sorrow, if I can just pick myself up and go help someone else because of my anecdotal experience, right? Um, it immediately gives me purpose. Like, and so therefore I'm not devoid of feeling. I'm not, I'm not devoid of, of the joy that also comes with sadness, right? Because I think we, we, we live in this like sort of sadness aversive society where if you're sad, you're depressed, you have a problem, right? If you're anxious, you're, you have anxiety, you have a problem versus like, wait a minute, I'm experiencing anxiety, I'm experiencing depression, and what I do with it is going to change like the longevity of my life, right? So if I'm feeling anxious, like what can I do for someone else? It might calm me down because I'll feel better about my environment. I'll feel better about the community I'm building, right? And therefore we need other people to lean on. It's not a solo journey here, right? That's why. You know, I would even say, I would, you know, you and I were talking about how depression is the perceived splintered isolation. Mm. It's not that we actually are totally alone on yeah. earth. It's that we feel and see that we're alone on earth yeah. and we can shift our perception. Well, I would say altruism is walking the walk of a unit of reality mm-hmm. that you really are my brother and you really are God's child and that God is in your spirit or your ultimate worth, yeah. life force. So when we act that out, we literally like whoop through the wormhole, enter the consciousness field of unit of love because we have walked through it. I would call it prayer and action, a transformative sort of porthole between universes. We choose what universe we live in. I would say the brain is like a wormhole between universes that are real, that are ontologically real. And we can literally, by walking the walk, like shoots and ladder, move into the world, that is a unit of world. And the huge smile of the person you just helped out and the huge smile of the lady in the post office and the huge smile is, it is a, a form of witness. It is an index. It is an expression of an actual unit of love. Mm. It kind of gets into the, the, the discussion of fate versus choice right? Like the, the things happen for a reason, right? Some people will say, right? And then others will be like, well, we, we decide our choices sort of make our reality. Where do you fall in that spectrum of those two things? And, and are they different? Fabulous. And I love your question. I think of life as a journey in dialogue with the universe. So you know, I can identify many times in my life um, where I'm given a choice. 
and I can technically, yes, elect one of many options, right? There is the capacity within my human brain to shift and go down one of many different points in the road. But I know in my deepest inner wisdom that one is aligned and true. So I see there's a sort of hybrid reality here where our choice allows us to draw into alignment with life's ultimate path. I feel like that, you know, almost like there's a rhythm in earth and I can feel it. And when I'm with it, I move in harmony with all earth. And when I'm against it, it's at great cost to others and myself. Mm -hmm. I'll give you an example. When I'm feeling connected to this rhythm in all life, suddenly I see a deer and I think, what say you deer? Right. And the deer maybe runs in a direction and I look and I see something I've never seen before. Or when I'm in, I share in the awakened brain, I'm kayaking down the river and I'm in rhythm with all of life. What I would call is picked up by alpha, Schumann's resonance, the resonance of all life. Mm. I mean, the spiritually engaged brain is part of this and I'm going down the river and the geese go, ah, mm -hmm. and I think, whoa, they're saying something. And I actually pay attention and they do again. So I go and follow their lead mm -hmm. and do so by narrowly avoiding a huge impediment in the river. Yep. We're working together. Mm -hmm. And this happens over and over until I'm no longer with geese and I hit a huge impediment, no more geese. I flip over, I look up, there's two humans. They look at me and I'm not hitting Nico, they walk away. <laughs> They actually got into their car and drove off. And I thought, wow, those geese were all working together in this unit of reality. And those two humans kind of were not buying in for this unit of opportunity. Yep. Right? They are living a depressing life. The geese are living a unit of life. Mm -hmm. um, and in that moment, I was living a unit of life. Mm -hmm. But I can think of a time where, for instance, I could feel I was in this sort of snarly, edgy quality. I was out of the rhythm of life. And when mm -hmm. I get edgy and... Um, short-tempered. I'm not part of this flow. I've not, I, I need to reopen myself. And there's enormous cost to that. So I'll share with you with great sort of shame, right? So I'm, I'm driving along. I'm in really edgy time. I realize I'm driving too fast. It feels edgy. It feels wrong. And suddenly I hit a bird, mm -hmm. right? This beautiful bird. And if I'd been within the rhythm of life, I would not have hit that bird. The bird swooped down, and just because I was going too fast, I killed this bird. Mm -hmm. Horrible, horrible. Of course, I pray, I apologize to the bird, I apologize to God, I try to renew. I, you know, but, but the point is, I made a choice, which was a terrible, dangerous choice, which was to allow myself 40 minutes of being out of the rhythm of life. Yeah. It, that's so interesting. You know, um, so my, my, my background is I'm Hispanic and, uh, in my family, there's, uh, indigenous blood. So Apache and Opata, um, indigenous cultures and a lot of indigenous cultures all around the world, not just in North and South America, usually adhere to some sort of spirituality with nature. Right. And, and we, we stop viewing animals and we stop viewing society as like the known and past the wall as the unknown which is fear-based right and it's like you know brother wolf like sister fox those kind of things right there's i had my really good friend sean martin who is an incredible teacher out of the navajo reservation here in northern arizona very spiritual individual and he he told you know the sort of the navajo creation story the Diné creation story and how father sky mother earth and like how you know these things come together and how the navajo view living on the land as 
part of the land. The land is the people, right? And it's not like the land isn't a commodity to, to take resources out. It's it's one to keep healthy because we are the land, right? We come from it. We are come from the clay. We come from the sky. Beautiful, beautiful, right? Incredible story. And it, it reminds me of like, like spirit is is the glue with that sort of system, right? You have to connect to that or else you see the tree as, oh, it's just a tree, you know? That tree is sucking in your carbon dioxide and putting out O2 so you can be alive for all of us to have this ability to, to hug each other, to love, to like, you know, kiss somebody, to hold somebody. Um, and it also allows you the ability to hurt somebody too, right? It gives you the choice, right? And in that choice is your ability to choose what you want to do. Because I do believe that, you know, although the universe is certainly laying things out for us, we are kind of decide where the pinball goes. You know, it's like, well, well, how do I want to act in this moment? How do I want to respond versus react, right? Do I want to act out of rage and aggression or do I want to think about compassion and love? You know, and you brought up this beautiful um, idea of like, even if someone's on the front page of the newspaper for going to jail for something, you still love them, right? And that brings up the idea of forgiveness is that, you know, consistently as human beings, we forgot that forgiveness isn't just a flip of the switch. It's a consistent practice over a lifetime, right? Um, I've talked about this story before, but I heard this on a podcast and it was a, a gentleman who, um, this was, I think 20 years ago, I was living in Salt Lake City. He was Mormon with with his family, his wife who had two kids and she was pregnant with a child. Real story, it was on um, Chris Pratt's wife's uh, uh, podcast. I can't remember the name of it, um, which is uh, Arnold Schwarzenegger's daughter. God, I can't, I can't think of her name, but it was an incredible, powerful story. And, it, and her podcast is all about forgiveness. And this, this man was saying, you know, one night he got a call and it was that his wife was in a car accident and he was just got home from work and the, his two kids were in the car and obviously she was she was you know housing the the kid, the child on the way and they were all killed his whole family was killed and he's like well what, what happened how, how did this happen and um, a 17 year old drunk young kid hit them head on in Salt Lake City Utah and so he drives down to the um to the the jail where this kid's being held you know he's he's a minor still and this kid is just like bawling and you you could tell like he was he had been drinking probably most of his teenage life right and um you know the, the kid was basically just saying like i want to die like you know like someone like kill me like he was just completely out of sorts right from that moment on this man like even went to the judge and he's like i don't want i don't want this kid to be thrown in jail you know like he needs help. He doesn't need to be stuck in a box, you know, and they, and they had the, the so deeply moving. Deeply moving. moving. So they had yeah. this 20 years after they had both of them on this show. And the young man was just like, I would have, he's like, I, I, I still feel remorse for this, but he's like, um, basically he became this kid's father in a way he lost his mm. family. And then this kid became part of his family. And wow. th this father said one of the most profound things I've ever heard on forgiveness, because the lady, the, the woman, the host asked him, how do you forgive someone that took everything from you? And he's like, you don't just forgive them. He's like, it's a continuous practice over time, right? Because he's like, there's times I really wish my wife and my children were here. But he's like, I realize that if I attach to that my whole life, it's going to destroy me. It's going to take my ability to live away. And he's like, instead, I, I searched as hard as I could for compassion, for love for this human being, because I thought this kid must have grown up in an environment where he was doing this and he didn't feel you know, safe and he didn't feel loved. And he's like, how can I help? Right. And it was just like, man, to have that sort of um, selflessness is just, it's an incredible reality that us human beings can do that right? That we can be sentient beings to, you know, sort of detach from like, you know, losing 
all these people you love and being like, I can still have compassion for this, right? Because the hate will consume you. It doesn't mean you don't have feelings. You don't feel sadness. You don't feel depressed, but it doesn't consume you, right? It doesn't, it doesn't take your ability, your life force away. You don't lose the connection to spirit. Well, you know, I'm thinking about your point, Nico, that all other living beings are in relation to us and we've done hideous things right. to them. Right. And yet they are so quick to forgive and yeah. be willing to have relationship. Right. I mean, th think how terrifying humans must look to all other living beings. We walk around two, you know, nine tenths of the time, not even opening our eyes to relationship with them, yep. acting as if they're not there or taking them and using them transactionally for our own narrow, hedonic, greedy purposes. They're our sisters and brothers. They're deep relationship with us and one another. We are human animals together. And the thought that with just, you know, one moment's love and regard, an animal will renew a relationship very often is extraordinary. It is. It's extraordinary. So just this week, Nico, it's a synchronicity. My daughter, Lila, she's 18. She was at a smoothie place, walked out back to the dumpster. And in the dumpster was a box. And in the box was a tiny little puppy. Someone had thrown an innocent newborn puppy in the garbage mm -hmm. behind a strip mall. And so she pulled out the baby and loved him. As now he's been brought into our family. Right? Now, that's possible. Why on everywhere on earth you know, was she there then to find this new little brother, this new member of our family? Right? When we open to these relationships... Then we rejoin the kingdom, God's kingdom. This is Eden right here on earth and our rich, traditional, indigenous, knowledgeable cultures of the North America know that, know that already. This is Eden. Spirit is in and through land. God is in and through one another and animals. I'll give you a story about how when we are in relationship, we all, we, we all are better off. So my son, Isaiah, Isaiah has always been understood as a wolf. Isaiah, the wolf, as you know, walks between this world and the next mm -hmm. day and night, right? spirit. Isaiah was born this way. Isaiah, I share in the awakened brain. He, we found him through the guidance of the Lakota, mm -hmm. actually, in the sweat lodge. The Lakota prayed, and that night he was found. Mm -hmm. So he's named Isaiah Lakota in honor of those who helped us find him. So Isaiah is the wolf. So Isaiah grows up, you know, I'm, I'm a working mom and we're very close, but I am working mom and I have to get a little help. So I try, I'm looking for a babysitter. I'm going to work. I need a babysitter. This woman comes in and on paper, everything's right. She has experience and she knows about nutrition and she has good understanding about child development. But somehow the base of my spine is just saying no, like there's something that's not right. Mm -hmm. I look out as she sits at my kitchen table, past her shoulder into the woods and on that day only, there is a wolf in the woods. And this wolf has an injured leg. Mm. The wolf is lame. I think an injured wolf. There's never been an injured wolf that I've seen out my kitchen window in the 10 years to this point. And since then, Nico, in the 20 years since then, never came back. So that day when there's a perfectly nice woman who's right for some other setting or family I knew this would injure Wolf. Mm. And I listened to the Wolf and I thanked her and she found another family to join. You know. mm. But we need to listen. Yeah. 
I would say that's pretty much exactly what Sean said on my show is that we've disconnected from our ability to deeply listen to each other and to like elsewhere to nature as well too, you know? Um, I think there's something inherently beautiful in a lot of indigenous cultures that teach that um, sort of respect of the land because we are the land. If you disrespect the land, you disrespect yourself. You know, if you if you hurt the land, you're hurting yourself. It's, it's just the same thing, right? And if you remain unconscious to how we commodify the land, you are commodifying yourself, right? And I think that that's just an incredible thing. And, I, you know, I, I believe, I do feel a sense that we are coming back around as a species, you know, that people, if we look at COVID, you know, people working from home and, and realizing that, you know, there's this mass exodus from capitalistic jobs and corporate culture, because people are like, I, I want to have a life. I want to be able to love people. I want to be able to connect. I can't just work 10 hours a day and get paid, you know, and not be able, not be able to even afford rent. Like how do we change this stuff for all of us? Right. We have, we have a, a tiny percentage of the population that has an exorbitant amount of wealth, monetary wealth and power. And then the majority of the population doesn't. Right. And I don't know if we'll ever live in a utopic society where it's equal. I don't know if we can do that, but we can certainly get closer to balance. Right. And, but for that to happen, we all have to understand that, um, we are, we are healthier together if we can become more balanced, right. Versus like, oh, I'm striving to be in that 1% so I can be at the top while everyone else is suffering down there, you know? And it just, that thought process doesn't make sense to me because if everyone else is suffering and you're at the top, well, that that's like the definition of loneliness almost. Cause you're, you're isolating yourself from others, Right. I don't want to be, I don't want to have monetary influence so I can have it for myself. I want to have it so I can give to people that need it, right? So I can help others, you know, become, you know, healthier or, or, or have more resources to, to practice more healthy habits, right? And I think if we think like that, then it's really easy to give, you know, even, even with the limited capacity that you have. Well, you know, the person who influenced me the most in this is by far my grandfather. Uh, he passed away in 2012. But I remember when I was little, uh, he would always have cash in his wallet, you know, and it was before Venmo and PayPal and all this stuff. Uh, so it's more common, but he would always carry like a five or a 20 or a 10 and he never used it to pay for stuff. He always gave it away. And it was like every day he would have like a $5 bill. He didn't make a lot of money. You know, he was um, a first generation and gone to college. You know, he had a bachelor's degree. He probably made under $45,000 his entire life, right? Um, But every day he would always pick me up from school. And if he would see someone on the street, like, you know, panhandling or someone in front of Safeway asking for money, he would, he would talk to them. He would shake their hand. He would treat them like a human being and he would give them some money, you know? And I asked him one day, I think I was like nine or 10. I was like, what if they just go buy booze? You know, he's like, well, and he's like, well, mijo, he'd call me mijo, which is just son in Spanish. He's like, if you only attach the belief that they're going to use, like someone is going to use this money to disempower themselves and continue their behaviors. You take the power of choice away from them and you stop believing in humans, you know? And uh, I'll never forget that lesson because, um, you know, it, it just, it just invoked this thing of like, it really is just out of the goodness of belief of fellow man and woman, right? It's not that like someone might not go take this and buy alcohol or buy drugs, but the fact that one person might change their life with that $20 bill, right? One person might out of the kindness that this man's shaking their hands and acknowledging them as a human being that is in existence say, wow, I've just felt a little bit of love. What am I going to do with it? You know, and, and in that is an immensely powerful lesson with us humans is that you have something to give right? Whether you give it or not is your choice. I love that your grandfather Mm -hmm. prepared himself before he headed out for the day for these moments 
that spirit would bring him. Mm-hmm. That he was an ambassador of spirit. Yep. Pretty profound. You know, I feel pretty lucky. I think a lot of people ask me like, well, how do you have these conversations? I'm like, it's a culmination of all the people that have touched me in my life, you know, and it's, and I feel blessed in that respect. Like I've experienced a good amount of trauma and setbacks, but it's beautiful people like yourself who I've had these conversations with who have inspired me to be like, man, there's something greater working here, you know? And if I just- Always. Always. And you're part of this web. You're like your grandfather. Mm-hmm. You go out each day and you bring- our awareness of our infinite human dignity, the love of who we are to one another. You know, I, I, I'm thinking back to your statement about the animals. You know, Nico, I'm thinking about this moment. Um, there's fishermen. I live on a river. And most of them are very respectful. But one left a line that had a hook on the end of it hanging from a tree. And a red robin flying by got hooked on it and her wing was hooking. So she was stuck with her wing hanging from this tree and she couldn't go anywhere. And she was flapping just to stay up, exhausted. I saw her and I ran into the house. I got a scissors because I and I just went up as close as I could and I cut the line and she flew. So since that day, we have had dozens of robins. I think they know mm-hmm. when we love them. I think we know, they know when we want to care for them the way your grandfather cared for fellow human beings. And then they come. I, I completely agree. I think, you know, a lot of humans, we, we judge the consciousness of other animals. Like we somehow can, can immediately, we think we're at the top of the food chain all the time, right? And I'm- It's so arrogant. It, it is really it arrogant. Really, it's really, What makes us special is right. that we have a thumb, right? right? And so let's evaluate the entire kingdom of life right. around thumb. Right. Oh, yeah. All right. What makes us special is how we utter our yes. language. It's our the form of our language. As if other few folks don't have language. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It reminded me of this this time. So um, I've been to Alaska once. I was nine years old. My one of my uncles who who helped raise me. I grew up with a single mother, by the way. So my my uncle he flew me. He's a big hunter, fisherman. He flew me to Alaska, and um, you know he hunted his whole life, and he would always tell me, you know, like we're not like I'm not taking an animal's life to showcase it, it's to feed my family, you know? And he's like, say a prayer when, when, when I've taken animal's life because I honor the life that I've just taken, right? It's not to hurt. It's not to like, um, take more than I need. It's just what we need to survive. Right. And I was in Alaska. Yeah. It's just, yeah. And so I was in Alaska and I was, I was at this dock by this cannery. He was in some fishing shop buying gear and I was sitting on this dock, um, you know, connected to the, to the ocean and the water's freezing because it's up in Alaska. And I'm just, I have this like little booklet that's the, like the tide um, booklet of the day. So it tells you like when the high tide and low tide, I was reading it as a nine-year-old kid, you know, third grader. And I see like something move in the water below me. I'm like, what the heck? Is that a fish? And I look down and it's this little octopus, tiny, like tiny octopus, probably the size oh. of like my hand, you know? And I swear this thing is like looking at me. And I'm just, an octopus are, are in, highly intelligent, right? Incredibly intelligent. They have a brain and all their tentacles. It's it's an incredible animal. And I'm like looking at it and I was like, man, it's like just like floating right there and it's alive. It's like, you know, and so I like stick my head closer because the dock was really close to the water level and I could tell it was like staring at me and it looked curious. It was like, what is this thing? You know, like what the heck? Oh, I love it. And, and, I, and I like put my hand, because I was a kid, you know, I put my hand down and I touched the top of its head and it just sat there and then I like put my hand back and then it looked at me and then it kind of floated away. And I was like, there was a sense of trust in that moment because that, that animal, that creature knew I wasn't a threat to it, you know, because I was a child. It didn't feel safe. I didn't feel scared or threatened because 
I didn't have a net. I didn't have anything. I wasn't going to hurt it. I was just like, it was like we both ran into each other at the supermarket. And he was like, man, I've never seen one of you before, you know? And I was like, you know, he was, he was probably fresh out the, you know, fresh out the womb or something. He would just, you know, gotten here and he floated up and he's like, what the heck, you know? And I'm like, man, it, it, not that obviously we need, um, you know, there's a give and take in life to sustain ourselves. Right. But if we don't appreciate the taking, we don't appreciate what we have. Meaning that like, if we take a life of something to sustain and we don't say a prayer, we don't honor life, we lose focus that, it helps us sustain, which helps us give back to the same life, right? And so if we keep, you know, commodifying resources and like pillaging the earth and having all these these waves of farming that are just, you know, very grotesque and we don't reconnect with the soil and with the water and with the animals, right? We're losing our a little bit of our humanness. We're losing our spirit, right? And that's why we're we don't feel good. Mind. That's we're, why we're depressed and out of our mind. Yep, exactly. Exactly. It, you, you show us the way back. I mean, it's, I, I fully agree with you that it literally would take one second mm-hmm. to choose to open our heart and spirit and say, what are you saying to me now, little octopus, mm-hmm. like you so purely did. We remember, we each have our memory of being a child yeah. where we had this interest and curiosity and natural brotherhood. You and octopus were brothers, yeah. right? Interest in one another. Um and somehow, you know, in school, I learned a really toxic, hideous, probably violent idea, which was that animals don't feel things the way we do. Mm-hmm. You know, that was a completely unscientific statement. There was absolutely no, not one shred of science that suggests that animals don't feel things. So in fact, there's a great deal of science that says they do. Yep. And actually, if you put a dog, which is to say no different than any other, put a sheep, put a goat, put a dog in an MRI, the dog shows the same neural correlates of love as we do. So you know, I agree with you, Nico. We we can heal ourselves and we can heal our planet by changing, by choosing to open and awaken our awareness. This is ours. Yep. That's a wonderful sentiment to end on, um, Dr. Miller. I, I just want to say thank you so much for coming on the show sharing this time with me. This has to be one of the most profound conversations I've had. And I've had some incredible people on this show from all different areas of science and spirituality. And this has been such a joy to talk to you. Um, it's been a treasure to connect with you, Nico. And I'm so grateful for this whole space that you hold and create where we come together, many of us in this sensibility that you, it's like a huge, beautiful picnic blanket that you open and thousands and thousands of people can sit on. Thank you. I really appreciate that coming from you. Where can folks find you? Where can they connect with you? Um, you know, tell people where they can, you know, get your book and or your books and just connect with you and, and find out more about your research and what you do. Well, thank you. So the Awakened Brain is out in book and audiobook. And actually they're doing me a little favor, which is on May 13, 14, and 15 for three days. They're letting me sell the awakened brain for two bucks if you do the ebook type instead of 20 bucks. So I'm for these three days, May 13, 14, 15, you can do awakened brain ebook for two bucks. Any vendor like Amazon or BNN or anything online. Um, And lisamillerphd.com. 
Awesome. Well, I'm going to definitely throw that in the intro. So if you want to buy her book, please do so. Uh, you know, I'm, I've already had an order. Uh, I had an order in Amazon, so I'm excited to read it. And then you have a book before that that's really on parenting, which I think is, is, is hugely applicable because one of the largest questions I get in, in one-on-one coaching is parent or parenting questions, right? Uh, specifically in a partnership that's has some dysfunction or not going super well and pick up that book too, because it seems like it is an incredible resource for, for both new and parents that have been parents for a long time as well. Yeah. As a parent, I would say the most important gift we give our children is to support and nurture their natural spiritual endowment, their natural gift of spiritual awareness. Mm -hmm. The child has it. And we see this through science that unless socialized out of it, a child will perceive continuity of consciousness after death. Mm -hmm. A child will know that we can know without being told. And a child will love and be in relationship with all living beings. Ah, so good. Dr. Miller, thank you so much. I hope I get to meet you in person someday. I, I hope we get to this again. Wonderful to have you. Thank you so much. Amazing. Amazing. I really want to ask all of you listeners out there, if you could take a couple seconds, go to Apple Podcasts and leave us a five-star written review that really helps get the podcast in more eyes, in more ears, um, and just really helps podcasts grow in, in every aspect possible. So um, I would really appreciate it if you could pause it, go leave us a five-star written review on Apple, subscribe on Apple and Spotify podcasts, and turn notifications on so you get notified whenever we launch a new episode.